God created you as a constant learning individual. Your brain is constantly what? Yeah. It's just like a magnet. It's constantly drawing in, whether it be truth or a lie. And then you have to what? Discern it. And equip believers. Boy, every job you go on, there's a training process. That training process is to equip you. That you go through. And you're being equipped to work the way they want you to work. And there's a learning process. God has to equip you that you might work the way he wants you to work. To equip believers for effective ministry. Don't you take that word effective as just general. God expects us to be effective in the things we do. When somebody puts you on their assembly line, they don't put you there to play. They put you there to, to turn out a good product. When somebody puts you behind the desk and there's a responsibility, they're looking for you to turn out a good product. God is expecting a good product from each and every one of us. And then he says, ministry in order to fulfill the great commission. God has an overall goal, an overall reaching goal. You know, I would have to say about God, he's dreaming awful big. When you say the road to salvation is narrow and the road to destruction is what? Is wide. But yet you're dreaming to make disciples of who? Yeah. Even though the reality may be this, it doesn't stop me from dreaming out here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you, O God, for a love that we could never have imagined. For one who loves us deeply and who has been faithful unto us, even in our own unfaithfulness to you. That you continue to love us and demonstrate your love for us. And I pray, O God, that we as your people might honor your name. That we might learn how to honor you in all things. And that, Lord, you might equip us, Lord, to do the work of the ministry that you've called us all into. Having different positions, different gifts to be used. That, Lord, we might use them in such a manner that it truly glorifies you. May you bless us this morning as we sit at your feet. And may you speak to our hearts. May your Holy Spirit move upon us. And we give you thanks and praise for what you've done in Dwight's life and what you continue to do in his life. We thank you for what you're doing in Sister Phillips' life, that you'll continue to work in her life as long as she has breath. And for each one of us that sit here, O oh God, that you would minister to us. Thank you, Lord, for the healing of Vic even now. Thank you for touching his body. Thank you that, Lord, your grace is more than sufficient. 
for each and every one of us, and especially for Vic, that, Lord, you're the one who causes him to move. You're the one who gives him the strength to stand. You're the one, oh God. And we thank you, Lord, that we can see evidence of your healing power even in our midst. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Salvation and the church. Somebody might be saying, well, Pastor, when are you going to change that? It ain't going to change for a while yet. Because we need to get it straight. That salvation in the church, that many people claim to be saved, but they don't want to have anything to do with the church. Many people claim that they love the Lord Jesus Christ, but they don't want to have anything to do with the church. The church is not a man-made institution. That's the first thing we need to understand. The church is not a man-made institution. And oftentimes we look at what one man receives and how one man might be praised or one man might be this. Get past that! That's all manly stuff. That's all human junk. Get to where you can see Jesus Christ in the church. If you don't see Christ in the church, if you don't see a strong desire to do the will of Christ in the church, it's time to pack up. If you don't hear his word being taught, it's time to pack up. If you're being entertained and just your ears are being tickled and you're leaving but don't have any concreteness of the word of God that you can take and hide in your heart and build upon, pack up. You need to understand this vital principle. Our relationship with God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit changes all of our relationships. The teaching of the church should affect every relationship you're involved in. It affects every relationship that you're involved in. And you need to understand that. There's a behavior that God is looking for in every relationship. My behavior towards Elaine would be different than my relationship towards another young lady or another woman. The behavior is different. The touching is different. The words are different. Why? Two different relationships. In the dating process, for a Christian young lady, the first thing should be in order is the man, is he a Christian? Is he somebody seeking after Christ? For the young man, it ought to be the same thing. Is this young girl a Christian? Is this young girl chasing after Christ? Or am I just looking at a body? What am I really focusing on? Because if you are really in Christ, it changes your relationship and your thinking in that relationship. 
even in the area of employee and employer, that relationship changes because I understand that the one who really owns this business is God. The one who allows this business to function and and work is God. The one who blesses this business is God. If not, it only has a short term. (laughs) But I don't work for Chrysler. I don't work for Goodyear. I don't work for this. I don't work here. I work at Aquin Lions Fellowship. I don't really work for Aquin Lions Fellowship. I work unto the Lord the one who placed me here. And when you work someplace, you're working there as unto the Lord. Why? God opened that door on your behalf. You may not be there for working in the sense of a product, but God has you there to reach somebody else. God has you there to touch somebody else's life. God has you there to share wisdom and knowledge of him with somebody else. And guess what? He just has somebody else write the check for you. That's all. But you're really working for the Lord Jesus Christ. And too many Christians are missing that principle because that's part of the relationship that God wants us to get straight. That we work and we labor as unto the Lord, not man. And we give God our very best in that. Not man. Man benefits from it because I'm giving my best. Other people benefit from it. The relationship again of a husband and a wife. That that husband is to love that wife as Christ loveth the church. And when that wife really knows she's loved... There's never a problem with submission. There's never a problem with submission. Because God has wired a woman that way. That when she is secure in the love of a man, there's no problem of following his leadership. And the husband-wife relationship is a different relationship than the employee and employer. It's a different relationship than daughter and sons. It's a different relationship than friends and neighbors. Are you beginning to catch the picture of some of all these different relationships that God has called us to do and to be involved in? Even to the area he said, boy, if you're going to do good, do good to what? All people. In other words, he takes away my preference that I would just want to do good to this group or just good to this group or just good over here. God says, you do good to all. And you want a starting place to practice that and learn that? Is in the church. Why? Because from God's perspective in the early church, you had the difference of all these different ethnic groups. Could you imagine the Jews, the Hebrew, the the Jews, the Gentiles, when I say Gentiles, the Romans and, and so forth, and the, and the different people, the, the people from Macedonia, the people from different areas with all their different cultures and so forth. Hey, Lord, I'm just going to sit over here with these Jewish folks. 
hey, Lord, I'm just going to hang out with these Roman folks. Hey, Lord, I'm just going to hang out with these African folks over here. No, the Lord says, now, you're going to learn to be good to what? To all people. Why? We're just all people. Don't matter about the color, we're just people. And he says, you're going to learn to have a relationship with all people. Now, why? Because all people need the Lord. All people need the Lord. Now, the church has the task of preparing the people of God to deal with all these different relationships. See, one of the reasons the church is not so diverse, just think, if we ask some of the people from the Little Island right off of India here that's up on the North Hill, if we had some Spanish folks in here, especially if we have some Ecuadorians and some from Colombia and so forth, they fight each other. If we have some Mexican folks and some other South American folks, they fight each other. When you come to the church now, we all got to be what? One. And they got to learn how to love each other. Elaine, one time, a daycare, unbeknownst to her, we had a couple people from Ecuador working for us. And Elaine asked, because the people who were doing the work was from Mexico, and she said, would you take them a bottle of water out? And the girl said, no, can't do that. And Elaine didn't understand it. But Mexico tried to invade all those other Southern American countries. Mexico tried to invade Ecuador, Colombia, Venezuela. And they all remember the war they had with Mexico. And they got statues when you visit their countries. Statues of their generals and their leaders who defeated the Mexicans. The sad part about it, they're just like we are. We're still fighting the Civil War. And the sad part about that, the church is to gather all these folks in and to teach us how to love each other and do good to each other. That's a challenge. That's a challenge. Now, the primary relationship, and this is what everything hinges upon, is your relationship with Jesus Christ. If your relationship with Jesus Christ has no depth, you'll have no depth in personal relationship with other people. You'll be very shallow. You'll be very shallow. You'll be protective. Because you won't be what Paul says, be transparent, be read by all men. You're going to want to protect this about your life, this about your life, this about your life. So people can't really get to know you because you're an insecure person. Understand something. When you are protecting you, you're forgetting the one who really protects you. And you're taking on the job of protecting yourself. 
and what you want known and what you don't want known. That old saying, let it all hang out. Let it all hang out there. Why? People know more about you than what you think they know. That old saying, don't let your dirty laundry be hanging out there. Well, it's it's already been out there. It's been blowing in the wind for some time. The thing is, sometimes own it, but be able to say, that's what I once was. That's not what I am today. Yes, that's what's going on in my life, but I have the victory in it in Jesus Christ. You don't have to protect who you are. You want to reveal who you are in Jesus Christ. And that primary relationship that you really want to develop and deepen is in the person of Christ. And that's why a lot of people don't care for the church because they do not have an in-depth relationship with Jesus Christ. Because if they had an in-depth relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, they would love the things that Christ loved. And because we understand he loves the church and gave his life for the body, the church, guess what we would love? Yes. We would love his church. We would love the things that he loved. We would work for the things that he worked for. And oftentimes, the church has to ask this question. What's our main purpose of existing? And the church has taken on the same attitude that many of us have taken on as individuals. That our main purpose of existing is to take care of who? Me. Me. And a lot of us have taken that position about the church. I got to take care of the church. The church does not exist to take care of the church. The church exists in order to be a light to a dying world. The church exists to minister to a world that is dying without Christ. The church exists not for itself, but for those who are outside of the church. And we need to get that straight. Because too often we're existing for self. And we're just surviving for self. What one of the things that surprised me yesterday, and maybe this is something Satan has robbed us from towards the end, when I asked the people, share your dreams. People no longer dream. Who's robbed your dreams? Who's robbed your inspiration? Who? robbed you from looking further down the road than just today? How many of you are just existing for today? And you see today as a day of struggling rather than a day of opportunity. Big difference in the way in which you may think. If you're just trying to survive the day and get through the day, You're not going to see all the opportunities that God puts before you today 
to be a blessing to others, to minister to others, and for you to what? Grow. You miss it. You'll miss it. And you want to be able to capitalize on it. And that's why that first relationship has to be in Jesus Christ because he helps establish me for every other relationship I will be involved in. Even with my relationship with my boss and so forth, he tells me how to respect and honor those that are over me. He tells me to submit to those that are over me. He tells me how to function even in government because government is of him. He's dealing with all these different relationships, but the primary relationship has to be Jesus Christ because he is the foundation for all other relationships. And we need to understand that. That he is. Go with me to Colossians 1, 1 through 15. And this is part of the church's job. It's to prepare the people of God to be involved in all these other relationships in society. We have to be willing to prepare. We, will, we have to be able to equip. We have to be able to grow you in a manner that allows you to interact in all these other relationships. For what purpose? For the glory of Christ. For the glory of Christ. Colossians 1, pick up in verse 15. He says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn. Not that and a lot of people kind of take that firstborn as though Christ was uh, created and life started someplace for Christ. No, it's just a figure of speech of saying he's first. He's first. Pre-existent, but he's first. That's all. That's all that is saying. He's first. It's an order. You don't start counting by saying three, five, six. You start with what? One, two, three. Order. Okay. And he goes on and he says, Firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. He was not created to create. He already existed and he created he was the first to start. And he says, Rather thrones or power created by him and for him. He is before what? All things. And he is the head of the body. Now, just go back up. He is before what? All things. That means he has to be pre-existent. He already has to be because if not God himself, God the Father wouldn't exist until who exists in order to be able to create him. That he's before all. Now some people just put that in the creation realm of world. No. He is pre-existing. Before anything was, he was. And he simply says, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. He was the first to raise from the dead. 
and go back into heaven. Some people aren't. Well, other people were raised from the dead. Yeah. But where did they go to? Jesus went directly back where? To the Father, to heaven. And and this goes on. He said, He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have what? Supremacy. For God was pleased. Catch this. You don't have it underlined in your Bible in that electronic thing you have. Underline it. Do something with it. Star it. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell where at? In him. Who's the him? Jesus. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is first. He's primary. And you have to work at that in making him primary. Go to Second Peter now. <clears throat> because you have to work and you have to build and you have to desire to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to want to grow in him. And as you grow in him, you will also grow in his church. When you grow in him, you'll also love his church. When you grow in him, the Holy Spirit will use you to manifest the gifts that is only within the Holy Spirit himself. He simply says that, boy, you and I, we need to grow. Go to chapter 5. I didn't put that in there. Second Peter 14 through 18. It's found in uh, chapter 3. I'm sorry. Chapter 3. And let's start at verse 14. Chapter 3 of Second Peter. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Who has to do that? That's what our responsibility is to keep ourselves from what? From the things of the world that we may be also what? Spotless. Why? He's going to present us as spotless before the Father. Why? We've been washed in the blood. But he said, now, you have a responsibility of keeping yourself clean. Remember mom and dad used to get you cleaned up and get you ready? Especially if there's three or four kids, what they tell you to do, sit there. <laughs> Because if you move from there, there's an opportunity for you to give what? And I'm trying to take care of number two and three, but you out there getting dirty and I got to come back and do you again? No, you're going to sit there. Okay? And when we all leave, we're all going to be clean, spotless. You see? When you step out there. You see? But whose responsibility was it to be clean? The child. The child had that responsibility to keep themselves clean. He says, so then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort, you make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Peace with who? With Jesus Christ. Bear in mind that our Lord's patient means salvation. Why? God is patient with us as we are on this road of growth. God is patient with us while we're on this road of maturing. Now, we demonstrate that with our children. Our children don't always please us. 
But we have to show patience to them while they are what? Growing. And in the growing aspect, we are constantly what? Teaching. And in that teaching process, we're looking for them to really listen, learn it, and what? Then apply it. But we have to be very patient with them because some things we have to reteach and reteach and reteach. Can you imagine how many times you tell a 14-year-old, a 13-year-old, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. That's why I don't want you to do that. And it's a constant reteaching. And when you're reteaching, you're using different words, but it's the same principle, the same thing you're trying to get across. I was teaching little Mark something yesterday. Because he was out there working with Grandma, you know. And I can't keep up with Grandma no more in the yard, you know. And, and he's up on the truck and he's shoveling, you know. And I went in the house, took my shower, and I come back out with my pajamas on and everything. And I said, Mark, I want you to look at this. See, a young man can work all day. An old man can't. And that whole process is something he has to learn. Because in his youth, like Scripture says, he's strong. But where's the wisdom at? (laughs) In the old man. And the process is that, yes, we are to grow. Let's move on a little further. He says, just as our dear brothers, Paul, and he uses Paul as an illustration here. As Paul also wrote you, with the wisdom that God gave him, he writes the same way in all his letters speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to what? Understand. So when something's hard to understand... That means you've got to teach it, and you're going to have to what? Reteach it, and you're going to have to reteach it. Because, see, the person may not be mature enough at that point to receive it, accept it, and know how to put it into practice. Only thing you're doing maybe at the first time is just allowing them to hear it. Now, understand something. We learn more by what we see than what we hear. That's why the illustration issue is that you show people, you show people, you show people, because what we see, we retain longer than what we hear. And you want to be able to put things in people's hands, hopefully that they'll do what? Go back over it again, go back over If you only just teach or lecture to people, they will hear, but before you leave, you ask, okay, what did you really hear? They can't really tell you. Summarize what I said. They haven't had time enough to gurgitate it. They haven't had time enough to personalize it. They haven't had time enough to really take it in. When you put something in their hands and it means something to them, they got time to go back over it and over it and over it and over it again. And the whole process is that you want to put it in their hands. You want them to see it. You want to see it and hear it. It helps the learning process more. 
And with your children sometimes, you want to demonstrate it for them. You want to show it to them. Not only just tell them, but also show them. And he goes on, he says, Paul wrote these things because some are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort. When you're not really looking to understand or to learn, you will distort it. You will bring it around to where you want it to be rather than what Scripture is really saying. You will twist it. You will put your ifs and your buts into it in order to change it from what God really intends to satisfy yourself. And he says, boy, they're ignorant and unstable people. Distort as they do the other scriptures. Now look what happens, though, to their own destruction. When you distort God's word, and you're not really seeking to understand God's word, and you don't want the wisdom of God's word, and you don't want the learning of God's word, you really are just destroying yourself. God's word gives life. God's word gives knowledge. God's word gives understanding. It may not come quickly, but as you hang on it and you chew on it and you stay with it, you'll discover that it works. And, and he goes on and he says, Boy, therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by what? By the errors. Now, a lot of folks, you don't have to worry about trying to deceive them because they're already deceived. They don't know the word. They don't know Scripture. I mean, boy, talking with a young man at the barbershop, boy, he know the Lord Jesus. He know the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I asked, boy, you know where Matthew's at? That is a great book. You know where Matthew's at? It's in the Bible. Couldn't tell me if it was the first book of the new. <laughs> it's just in the Bible. <laughs> Sometimes people's answers will tell you how mature they are. Sometimes people's answers will tell you how much learning they've had. Listen to people. One of the most important things for Christians to do today is stop running our mouths and learn to listen. And if we listen to them and to the Holy Spirit, we'll have something to say. And he says, boy... He says, they're an era of lawless men and fall from your secure what? Position. That's what's happened to a lot of Christians. We've fallen from a secure position of God's word. Haven't fallen out of our salvation, but we've fallen from a secure position of God's word because we don't know God's word and we don't practice God's word. And a lot of us struggle in life because we're not in the security of God's word. Understand this. This is something very important to grab hold of. Only God himself can activate his word in your life. 
And he is the one responsible to show forth the evidence of his word working in a world that says this doesn't work. This God backs his word. Man uses the word guarantee. God's word is guaranteed by God. And there's not a 10-year guarantee. Not a 5-year guarantee. It is guaranteed on God himself. For God says, not one letter, not one tittle of his word will pass away. Heaven and earth may pass away, but what is secure? His word. And he says, now, you trust my word, and you'll be secure. You don't trust my word, you put yourself out in the storms of life. You bring destruction to yourself. And then he moves on a little bit further because the issue here is about really establishing yourself in his word. He says then from that point, you fall from your secure position. But look what the challenge is. And this is the challenge to the church today. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in the favor of God. Grow in that grace. Grow in the favor. He wants you to what? Grow. He wants you to what? Mature. He wants you to become a young man in your Christianity. He wants you to become a young woman in your Christianity. He wants you to grow old in your Christianity. He wants you to be mature in your Christianity. He wants you to constantly grow. Some folks are 50 years old and act like what? Just because you got something to show that you're over 21 doesn't mean that you have the maturity of a 21. And the same thing is true in Christianity. You can have been a Christian for 20 years and have no maturity. You can be a Christian for the last 15, 20 years and you're yet still a babe and not ready for solid meat. And he says, grow in the grace. And that's the church. The church's position is to teach, to educate. For what purpose? That people might grow and mature and have knowledge. Now, the Bible is the company handbook. Isn't it strange? Every company has a handbook or a policy book. And for some reason, we don't think God is smart enough to do that. God tells you, okay, you're saved. Go out here and wing it and do the best you can do. No, he's just like any other company. He's the CEO of his company. He's the head of his company. And he has a policy book. He has a company book that we all run by. That all employees must follow. Called the Bible. The Bible is the company handbook. It is the rules that are going to be followed if you are going to be a part of the company. If you're really going to be part of the company of the thing called church, the rule book is the Bible. The rule book is the Bible. 
The church has its own book to learn from. And the sad part about church anymore, how many of us carry the book? Now, you ask anybody who's really a union person, Roger was a union person. When Roger hit Chrysler property, and Roger's back pocket was that little union book. And Roger knew what he could do, and he knew what the company could do. And Roger would pull out on a foreman real quick. Here's our contract. (laughs) How many people work someplace and don't know what their contract says? Only thing they're interested is when it says you get a raise. It doesn't tell you nothing about your break, but it does. It doesn't tell you what the expectation of you as an employee what they're expecting to see out of you. It tells you even about your behavior. And some places it'll tell you if you're late so many times, this is the response or this is how the company will handle this. If you miss so many days, here it is what will take place and so forth. So they have a disciplinary section also. The Bible has a a disciplinary section. It is the church's handbook. The sad part about it, too many of us who are in the company don't know about it. We don't read, as Melvin was hearing today, the inheritance that we have inherited. You may have a right to it, but you're ignorant of the rights that you have. You're ignorant for what somebody else has even left to you or have given to you. You're ignorant of it. And unless you get in that book and you really study that book, you have no knowledge of what God really is expecting of you as a Christian and what God has promised you and what God will do on your behalf when you are obedient unto him. Now, Jesus is the head of the church, and we need to never overlook that issue, that Jesus himself is the head. Now, the church has its own book, and we learn together from it. Why? As we learn together, it unites us. It unites us. It unites us. It gives us wisdom, because we're all learning about this same God who wants us all to live in a fashion that glorifies him. Now, go to Proverbs 13:20 with me. Proverbs 13:20 Because God wants us to grow in him and to understand that we are a people who are to grow together and, and that we learn from each other. He said, he who walks with the wise grow what? Wiser. Oh, he becomes wise himself. If you hang around a bunch of unbelievers and a bunch of foolishness, guess what? That's what you're going to be like. If all you can remember is your old life, 
you'll never much talk about your new life. And what should be exciting is your new life in Christ, not so much your what? Your old life. Remember what the scripture says? Forgetting the things that are where at. Yes. Because the things behind you, if you keep putting them out here, they're going to cause you to stumble. They're going to cause you to think differently because that's all you're seeing. And sometimes you got to take the old stuff, get it behind you in order you can see new things, a new horizon. See? And remember, the Lord says he's going to do a new thing. Well, if he's going to be doing a new thing, who, who wants to see that new thing? I do. I want to see the new thing that God is doing. But if I only keep my eyes upon the old things, I'll never see the new thing that God is working on. And he simply says here, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers what? Harm. Harm. We come in and we are helping each other to grow. And how do we do that? And sometimes we get mad at it because, boy, what we don't understand, we sharpen each other. Go to 27, Proverbs 27, and then go to verse 17. Now, the thing that we don't like to see in church sometimes is sparks. And it's okay for sparks. It's our attitude in the sparks. It's our attitude why we're discussing and why we're going at it. It's our attitude. I can never lose sight. If me and Jasper go at each other, the thing we got to keep in attitude, that we're brothers. He got to keep in front of him, he loves Gus Brown. What I got to keep in front of me, I love Jasper. <laughs> But we're going to sharpen each other. So we're using our verses towards each other. We're doing it. And it's going to make each one of us go back to the book and do what? Check it out more. It's going to make us go back and substantiate our stance. Now, it's okay sometimes if my stance is in the Calvinistic view. It's okay if I'm over here in a Arminius view. Okay. Now, sometimes with churches, they wind up in a liberal view. Then those, those who are in the fundamental view. The whole thing is this here. We want to challenge each other to run after Christ. To run after Christ. So the last question that's going to be asked, boy, do we really want to do God's will? And if we want to do that, let's go back and let's dig at it. Let's keep at it with each other. Let's keep sharpening each other. Let's make each other better. And he simply says here, he who walked, verse 17. What chapter am I in? 27. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens what? Yes. Understand that. We sharpen each other. We make each other better in the church. We don't put you down here. Our job is to do what? Lift it up. 
Lift up what? Lift up the intellect. Lift up the knowledge. Lift up the desire to be more than what you are today. Why? Because in reality, you're not what you used to be even an hour ago. You've changed and you don't even know it. But we're bettering each other. Now, if you go to Second Timothy, y'all going to have to bear with me just by the extra 10, 15 minutes as we run through this. Over in 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17, the Lord gives us in his book exactly what he somewhat is expecting from us. And it is all about, in a sense, attitude and behavior changes. Remember what I said not too long ago? Satan trained you. Before you met Christ, you were in the school class of Satan, the world. And he was teaching you. Now, in Scripture, it's strange what Scripture will say sometime. Renew your what? If your mind was okay, you wouldn't have to do what? Renew it. You wouldn't have to think differently. You wouldn't have to see it differently. But because God knows who has taught you, until you came to him, he says, now, we got to renew the mind. we got to change the thinking. Because if you renew the mind, change the thinking, the outcomes are different. The outcomes are different. And that's what God is after. He's after a different outcome in your life. But the only way he's going to get a different outcome is if he changed your thinking he changes your heart, and he re-educates you. Now, knowing Scripture has a purpose. It is to make us wise. It is to make us wise. And we need to understand that. Let's go through that, uh, starting at verse 15 real quick. We're just going to run through it. He says, let me get to 15. And how many infants you have known, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scripture, which are able to make you what? Wise. For salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in what? Righteousness. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, for everything that God leads you into, God equips you. Now, let's go back through it a little bit. The scripture is to make you wise. If you don't know the word of God, you're just going to be a foolish person leaning on your own understanding, thinking like the world thinks. That's all. One of the reasons that we wind up in church life doing a lot of things that are not in scripture because we're just going to bring it in from what we do on the jobs. We're going to bring it in from outside, and we're just going to bring it in, and we're just going to do it. And we'll say, that's church. The reason that takes place again is because the ignorance of God's word. Now, I'm going to hit myself for a moment. Let 
God says that his labor or his pastor is worth double honor. Now, we don't know how to interpret that. So we interpret that with a Lincoln. We interpret that with a Lexus. We interpret that by giving $20,000. We call it Pastor Appreciation Day. Show me a scripture in the Bible about Pastor Appreciation Day when Jesus Christ is the head of his church. Now, I'm not saying you don't appreciate your pastor. I'm not saying you can't say a good job, well done. But I want you to remember something. We're all in the same boat. We're all his servants, even the pastor. I'm not here because of you per se. I'm here because of the one who is the head of my life who called me to do a task. Period. You're here because it's God's will for you to be here this day sitting in the seat that you're sitting in. That's God's will. He's leading your life, hopefully. He's guiding you. Okay? Now, the thing is this here. You come every day and you, you do the giving every week and you help around the church. When is it that you ever get an appreciation day? But in the church... We kind of like pick out our heroes and, and this and that. And there's only one hero in the church, Jesus Christ. I said I was going to kick myself a little bit. Because I appreciate the cards that I receive from you. I appreciate the thank yous. I appreciate the little gifts every now and then. I appreciate those things. But I want you to know the real head of the church is Jesus Christ, not Pastor Brown. This is not my church. It's just a place where I work at. It's a place where I labor at. Okay. And the whole issue is that, yeah, it's to make us wise. And, and we really get into scripture, we'll understand even the pastor's role better. Okay. It gives us wisdom about it. Then it gives us knowledge of our salvation. When you're in the word of God, you gather knowledge about your salvation. If I got to argue with you, and this is why I've taken the position, I know I am securely and I'm safe and I'm eternally saved. I know that. If I got to argue with you that you're in that position, then you're not in that position. You're looking for me to try to confirm something on you that I cannot confirm on you, but you yourself with your relationship with God and the Holy Spirit, have to confirm that on yourself. That you know you are eternally saved. But if I have to convince you of that, then there's a problem. You never really have to convince a child who mom and dad is. No matter what kind of mom or dad it is, if they've had a relationship in some way with that mom and dad, they know that's what? Mom and dad. See, I know he's my heavenly father. I know Jesus Christ is my savior. I know that the Holy Spirit lives in me. I don't need you to convince me of that. I know that. Catch the difference? 
And when you stay under the word of God, eventually in that relationship, you gather the confidence with God. See, that's why Paul says, boy, I much rather be where? Up there. But it's more needful for me to be where? Here. But Paul knew where he was going. Paul's heart desired that, to be with Christ. But he understood it was more needful for him to be here, which was God's will for his life at that point. Then we need to understand that this book is not man so much written that man sat down and just tried to pin this thing and put it together. It's God breathed. It's what God inspired. And sometimes we get in trouble trying to explain that. And the simplest way of saying it is simply this. God said it. How many of you can remember what your mama or daddy said to you? When you get into this book and you study it and he's your father, you'll be saying, that's what my dad said. That's what my dad said. And you'll remember what your dad said. It's God breathed. It's what God has to say to his children. Go to verse 16 there. He simply says, all scripture is God breathed or God spoken or God inspired or God said it. And guess what? We're going to God's house when we don't even take his book. There's some classes and some professors, unless you come in with their book or what papers they've written, you can't come into that class really. You let your kids go to school. Do they bring books home? If you never see your child bring a book home, you know you got a problem child. Why is it in every educational institution we have a book, but when it comes to church, we leave it at home. We don't get into the book. We're not tested about the book. And the real test about the book is your life. Not what you say. It's your life. For the Lord knows this. We can conjure up and say the things that can be pleasing and our hearts can be where? Far from him. Because in Christianity, we've taught ourselves how to say the religious things. We've taught ourselves how to say things that are pleasing to each other and so forth. But when you look at people's lives, that's the real putting in. If your life does not declare this book, then you are deceiving yourself. You're not deceiving anybody else because everybody else sees the real you, even though the front is there. People are not that ignorant that they don't see whether if you really love the Lord Jesus Christ or not. You can fool some of the people some of the time. You cannot fool people all the time. And some of us are working very hard to try to fool people that we love the Lord. But the very evidence of our life says just the opposite. 
teaching is how we should live. This scripture teaches us how we should live. In all these different relationships. So the church has all this vast teaching. It's not just about salvation. Getting you saved and getting you on the way to heaven. There's no use sending you to heaven and you are totally bankrupt of any spiritual good. But that, that there, there's a growing. That's why we're left here. To grow and to work. To grow and to work. That's like taking some employees right off the street and never training them and put them on something and say, do it. Never showing them how. Never teaching them. So while we're down here, we're learning in a way how we are to live before God for that when we get there, we know how to live before God. And it never stops learning. I raise my children in this fashion, constantly to know how to be at peace with me. And that's very simply. Respect me. (laughs) I'm old and I can't do a whole lot, but like I told Jeremy, I'll take a baseball bat when you're not looking. And Jeremy now, he got all these muscle bulging and all this here. And I got enough sense as an old man to know I can't tussle with Jeremy. Now I only got two good breaths to waste on him. (laughs) By that time, I got to go sit down somewhere. But here's the Lord. He's teaching us. He's patient with us. And he wants us to learn how to live this Christian life. And that's a lot of attitude changing. That's a lot of behavior changing. We know how to live in the world. We know what to expect out there. We know how to get over out there. And sometimes we come into church trying to do what? Get over. We come into church ready to do what? No. He teaches us how we should live as Christians. Take some of those verses and run through them. Well, let's just take a few minutes. Then I'm, I'll, I'll close up and we'll pick back up here next week. Let's go to Isaiah 55.7 because we need to understand this simple little principle too. That uh, God wants us to understand it. Fifty-five, seven. Yeah. Let me get down to it. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely what? Pardon. But look what he's asking you to do. Forsake what? Your past way of living. Forsake all this stuff in in the past. 
If you talk more about your past than, than your future, it's because you don't understand the future that you have. I know what I once was. But I know what I am today and where I'm heading. Now, again, go to Isaiah 5.20 because the whole process in training in righteousness. And I'm just jumping way ahead here. But if you have time, go through these as you sit tonight at home and so forth. And just prepare yourself even for next week. Next week is Mother's Day and we'll be doing Mother's Day. So it'll be almost like two weeks before we get back to it. And But the whole process is to get them in your mind. Get them up here where you're thinking about He says, woe to those in 520 who call evil good. You know, sometimes you can live so long outside of the will of God that that becomes good. So you see nothing wrong shacking up with somebody because that's how you've been doing it. That's how you've been living. And there's nothing wrong with it. Well, he treats me good. She she treats me good. And a young man, I remember just taking time talking with him right out there in the hallway and talking with the young girl that he was living with. And there was only two options. One, you get married and really be committed to each other. Or one of you going to wind up being unfaithful to the other. And he was going past my office one day, and I just yelled at him, Hey, how's everything going? And he stepped in the office, and he said, She caught me. (laughs) And now, separated. Two children. Been together close to five years, but had nothing to seem in it. Nothing to glue it together. Nothing where you both will be in challenge with in doing right with each other. Because today we live in a world where people call good evil and evil what? Good. And that's one of the reasons for the renewing of the mind and that the church has to deal with. Because people come in with all these Things that they think is good, but is totally contrary to what? The Word of God. And those things have to be challenged. Now understand, the moment you challenge somebody, you got World War III going on. But they have to be challenged. Why? They are a philosophy of life. They are a way of life that they have taken on, even though it's displeasing to God. Well, go ahead and check number four, and we'll pick up at four, five, and six at our next one, and we'll go with that. But understand something. The church has this awesome job of educating. It has the awful jo- this awesome job of equipping you to deal with all these different relationships. That's the church. See? Kaylee has to be the one who says... If she's been taught, the young men I date need to be what? Have a desire to love the Lord. 
is not you, as scripture said, you give what you sow. You reap what you sow. If you go after a bum, guess what you're going to get? Can a leopard change his spots? <laughs> so when you look at a young man, you want to look at his qualities. You don't want to look that he's the basketball star. You don't want to look he's the football star. You don't want to look, boy, if I'm with him, people are going to really think I'm something. You want to look at the real character and the quality of the individual. Hey. And that young man right there. You look at young ladies, don't you? Mm-hmm. Eh? But what are you really looking at? Yeah, don't just look at the shape. Don't just look at the long hair. Just don't just look at the face. Look into the heart. Eh? Look at how they've been taught. Eh? Look at what they cherish. Look at what they really might go after. See, if they're not after the Lord, say bye. See, nothing wrong with a good wave. You can do it any kind of way, you know. <laughs> but do it. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And we are your church. And Lord, there's a lot of learning we have to do. There's a lot of teaching we have to do. And I hope, Lord, that you would, uh, as we go through this series, help us to change our mind and maybe even our focus about what church really is. Because, Lord, you love your church and you love the people of your church. You died for each and every one of us. And we are the body, the church. Help us, oh God, to really desire to allow you to be the head of the church. And every one of us are co-laborers together with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Minister to us, Lord, and help us to see the real value, the real importance the necessity of the church. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.